Welcome back to the second episode of the GSJ EMS podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be covering syncope. Have you as a provider ever thought about how many of the calls that you respond to are related to syncope matters and how many times patients present to the hospital, to the emergency room with a syncope complaint? We're going to go into the pathophysiology of syncope. We're going to talk about the different causes, the different presentations we see in syncope patients. We're going to talk about the different assessment tools that we have as providers in the field for our syncope patients. We're going to cover the treatment of our syncope patients, especially related to those causes uh, as we study through that today. And then, of course, at the end of today's episode, we'll go into the war chest and talk about a recent case study involving a patient transported by our team due to syncope. So I hope you'll join us for today's episode on syncope. So as EMS providers, what do we consider to be the main cause of syncope in our patients? Well, I can tell you from a civilian standpoint, Merriam-Webster defines syncope as the loss of consciousness resulting from insufficient blood flow to the brain. American Heart Association also uses the same definition but they go into a little more detail in calling this fainting or passing out and stating that it most often occurs when the blood pressure is too low and the heart's not pumping enough oxygen to the brain. Now, we know as EMS providers that this can be very benign or it can be a major medical issue that our patients are experiencing. And it's our job as providers in the field to do that proper assessment, provide that proper treatment to our patients to get them the best possible care. And friends understand that diagnosing syncope in the field is very difficult. It's difficult in the hospital setting for many clinicians and providers. So you can't expect that this is going to be something easy for us as pre-hospital care providers to pick up on in the field, especially when these clinicians in the ED have so many more tools at their disposal. So what are different causes of syncope in our patients? Well, first, let's start with vascular and blood-related causes. Low volume may result in a wide range of conditions, including GI bleedings, vomiting, and diarrhea. Any history or indication of anemia, cancer, and sepsis or other shock conditions can also cause syncopal episodes. A lot of times, we know the vascular system, to some degree, is going to be involved in all cases of syncope. When it comes to cardiac causes, have you considered arrhythmias with your patient? Are you putting them on the cardiac monitor and checking their rhythm, and what status their heart is showing you. What about MIs in our patients and infarctions? Some type of obstruction of blood flow out of the heart. We know these things can happen very often with valvular problems like stenosis of aortic, pulmonic, and mitral valves. Obstruction can also be caused by pulmonary emboli or pericardial tamponade. Patients who experience syncope during exertion are also more likely to have an outflow obstruction. The most common metabolic cause of syncope is hyperventilation or hypocapnia as a result of low carbon dioxide in the blood that's going to cause cerebral vasoconstriction, cutting off that blood flow to the brain. Our brain eats up 20% of our body's oxygen consumption at all times. Think about that, 20%. That's a large number. And our brain does not like and does not tolerate well anaerobic metabolism like other parts of our bodies. What about hypoglycemia? Are we checking blood sugars on our patients in the field to determine their blood glucose level and determine whether or not it's too low and not enough sugar is getting to the brain? Are there neurologic causes that could be affecting our patient and causing them syncope? What about patients with Parkinson's disease or Guillain-Barre syndrome? 
that may be more prone to syncope and more extensive diabetic neuropathies. Things like alcohol ingestion, stress, heat, standing with knees locked, big crowds. What about seizure patients? How often do syncope patients present to us and we come to find out that the patient had a seizure? Maybe they didn't have that full body shaking that we're so accustomed to seeing. An important thing to remember is not all seizure patients are going to present with that full tonic-clonic full body shaking. They're not always going to present with a seizure history. What about drug overdoses as a cause for a syncopal episode? A lot of times we don't like to think of that being a potential cause, but we have to at least consider it. We'll talk later in this episode about a physical assessment of our surroundings, of our patient, and what possible drug could be involved with an overdose. And a lot of times these may not be intended overdoses. These could be overdoses in elderly patients or others that may be forgetful in what medication they've taken, especially if those medications involve neurological or hypotensive type side effects. So we now know there are many causes for syncope and many things that look like syncope that aren't. But what about the assessment of these patients? What can we do to better assess these patients and make sure that we're getting as much information as we can out of our patient? Your first contact should include right off the bat the primary assessment, taking spinal precautions if deemed necessary, managing the ABCs. In true syncope cases, Patients aren't going to require ventilation or resuscitation. Oxygen administration via non-rebreather nasal cannula should be performed based on patient presentation and oxygen saturation readings. Note important circulatory signs during this phase, including skin color, temperature, and condition. And take quick pulse checks for unusual bradycardic or tachycardic situations. The overall approach assessment and care of these patients should be performed early in the assessment process when signs are pointing to conditions like we mentioned above. The different diagnostic process for syncope involves a wide range of pathologies that we talked about and discussed earlier and things that are going to mimic syncope but that we're going to differentiate based on what we spoke about. Since syncope is a medical presentation, the patient history usually is the source of the greatest and going to be the most relevant information to us as providers in the field. Be sure to get that detailed history of events surrounding the full incident, and it's going to be vital to the providers at the hospital as well. What about the sample mnemonic that we use? Pay attention to the details in this mnemonic with your patient, as it can yield significant results. Asking the patient, did you have any unusual sensations? What about different experiences of irregular heartbeats, palpitations? Did you experience any pain or unusual feelings? Any signs of bleeding? Have you been throwing up or have you had rectal bleeding? Any risk factors the patient may have like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes? All these things can point you to an assessment that's going to be directly related to what caused the syncopal episode in the patient. What if the patient says, yes, I have diabetes? Well, we now know one of the first things we should be doing then on this patient is checking that blood glucose to determine, is this going to be a hypoglycemic episode? Does the patient just need sugar? What about the E in our sample mnemonic? How important is that? What were the events that led up to the person having the syncable episode? Were they exerting themselves in some type of exercise? Were they sitting there not doing anything? Have they been sick for a while? What about their food intake today? 
all these are different events that can lead up to these syncopal episodes that can help point us in the proper diagnosis and even treatment of the syncopal episodes seen in our patient. Another part of your assessment needs to be questioning the family members or bystanders around the patient that were there when the patient had their syncopal episode. Ask what was happening before the patient became unconscious and unresponsive. What were they doing? How long were they unconscious or unresponsive for? Do be wary of the answers as a lot of times this is an emotionally charged event, especially for family members or other bystanders that aren't used to dealing with this type of patient condition as they may over-exaggerate the amount of time patients were unconscious and unresponsive. What seems like an eternity to the family member may have only been a few seconds, maybe even less than a minute, that the patient truly wasn't responding. Also ask how quickly the patient came around once they did start responding. How quickly did they begin mentating again and start answering questions and acting appropriately again once they began responding after the episode. Your exam should also include a physical examination of the patient and the environment to determine what other items could have caused the syncopal episode. What about the temperature in the room? Is there any workout equipment near you? Are there drugs near you? These are all different physical properties that we can view as providers in the field to determine if there's any outside forces that were acting on our patient. The physical exam is just another way to rule out potential causes of syncope or conditions that mimic syncope using causes of altered mental status as a guide. Have you considered orthostatic hypertension? Have we done a tilt test on a patient? What if we stand our patient up and they become dizzy or state that the room's spinning? As the patient stands, we should observe him or her carefully. Any sudden change in position can cause syncope in the brain. Be prepared to bring that patient safely back to a sitting or lying position. This can be a pretty important diagnostic sign in itself. If the patient does become dizzy or weak or develops an altered mental status upon standing, that patient's considered to have a positive tilt test, and we know that, especially if they recover when they're placed back in the recumbent position. And you shouldn't do this test any further until that patient is delivered to the ED and under a doctor's care. Look for other signs of shock on the patient, including changes in their skin color, their temperature, and any mental condition. If a pulse increases when that patient stands or moves, what about a blood pressure decrease? These are all different things that can reflect a positive tilt test in our patient. Remember, you should be looking at the overall picture of your patient. Don't just rely on the electrical diagnostic tools that we have, like pulse ox and cardiac monitor. Does your patient match what you see? Does your patient match the blood pressure that you see? Does your patient match the oxygen saturation that you're being given on the monitor? Always, always, always treat your patient and not those diagnostic tools. At the very least, when assessing a patient with a syncope complaint, your assessment should include a good Cincinnati stroke scale or some other comparable stroke scale that your facility or your service is using. You should always perform a finger stick blood glucose on these patients. These patients should receive a full cardiac workup, including a 12-lead EKG, and when possible, try and perform that orthostatic blood pressure using our tilt test. When it comes to treating syncope patients, many of the possible causes of syncope are transient, and you will treat those as you are able to identify them, like hypovolemia and hypoglycemia. Those patients we know are going to get IV therapy, they're going to get fluid therapy, or they're going to get glucose and we're going to choose appropriate transport destinations for these patients. 
What if these patients had a positive stroke assessment? They need to make sure they're getting to a stroke center. Or if they had a STEMI or a myocardial infarction, we've got to make sure that we're taking these patients to a chest pain center or a hospital that has a cath lab capability. When it comes to treating overdose patients, consider whether or not they need to be administered a narcotic antagonist such as Narcan. If these patients are breathing, it's best not to give them Narcan and let them maintain their current condition until they arrive at the hospital where you have more resources to help you treat that patient for safety reasons of the pre-hospital care provider. Again, please make sure that they are breathing. If their respiratory drive isn't there, then they do need to receive Narcan. But again, we are talking syncope here where a patient is overdosed and the medication is wore off and they now are back responsive. As you can see, many of the causes of syncope are going to be easily treated by all the things that we carry on our ambulances. These are things that we can use to easily correct any outstanding lagging causes of syncope in our patients and provide our patients with a better overall outcome once discharged from the emergency room. So now it's my favorite part of the episode where we get to go into the war stories chest and pull out a story about a patient that I transported involving syncopal episodes. This was a 76-year-old female that was in town at a local hotel visiting family for a local family reunion being held. The patient was walking when suddenly she felt ill and fell backward onto the couch where her daughter caught her and the patient became unresponsive, and as she did, the patient began shaking only with her upper body back and forth, slamming her head back into the couch and greatly scaring her daughter and many of the other family members in the hotel room. The patient did have a positive loss of consciousness. She was incontinent, and at the time, she also had what the family described as a whiteness appearing around her nose and mouth. The immediate assessment of this patient, who on our arrival to the patient, presented with a GCS of 15, who is also alert and oriented to person and place, which is normal for the patient as she suffers from dementia, included a sample history in which we found that the patient had a history of dementia, previous heart attacks, stroke history, and diabetes. Our immediate thought process went straight to checking a blood glucose, which resulted in a blood glucose of 259. So we were able to rule out hypoglycemia as the cause for the syncopal episode in this patient. Second to that, we also considered her stroke history. So we focused in and did a nice focused Cincinnati stroke scale assessment to which the patient passed with flying colors. We also assessed the patient for seizures, and we did notice the incontinence, but noted no other portion of what the family told us occurred in this episode to be consistent with seizure-like activity, as the patient just had a upper body and really a torso response to shaking. The patient's vital signs were immediately obtained using a manual blood pressure cuff, a stethoscope, a manual pulse check, and observation of the patient's respiratory status. All the vital signs at the time of assessment were great and very well within what we consider normal limits for an adult patient. The patient stated currently she felt fine, but she did remember the episode and she remembered feeling funny prior to the episode beginning. 
The patient also denies what her family members state is a loss of consciousness and states that she knew what was going on during the episode but could not speak to her family members during the time that it was occurring. With the knowledge that we had at this time of the patient's history, we continued focusing in on the stroke portion of the patient's history and considered that to be a main suspect cause of her syncopal episode. The patient was subsequently helped to a standing position in which we performed an orthostatic test. We also helped the patient onto the cot where she was secured and then transported down to the medic and secured for transport. She was immediately placed on the cardiac monitor, her vitals reobtained, and additional assessments completed. This patient, again, remarked how well she was feeling now, but did continue to note the feeling she had prior to the event of her loss of consciousness stated by the family. The patient also states that she's had these types of bouts before and has been transported to her local ER, but nothing has ever come of it and the doctors that have treated her have not found the cause for these episodes since they continue to occur. As we began transport to our local emergency room, we attempted to establish IVs, which we were unsuccessful in, and our hope to administer this patient fluid, as she was on the lower level of being normotensive. As the transport continued, however, we noticed the patient continued into a hypotensive state, eventually striking a systolic blood pressure of 90. The patient also continued to decrease in mentation en route to the hospital. Locally, we were very close to our local ED and was able to get this patient in a timely fashion into the emergency room where she could be evaluated by physicians. During our sample history, though, of the patient, when we got to the M, or the medications that the patient's taking, we noticed the patient was taking isozorbide, and we knew that that could cause a hypotensive effect with the patient. It was also noted that the patient had dementia, and all these things were relayed to the provider that there was a possible overdose or too many of these isozorbide tablets being taken by the patient. We learned that the patient's daughter typically administers the patient's medication due to her dementia. However, because of this trip, another family member was assisting in the medication administration. And we learned that it was possible the patient did take too many of her isozorbide tablets as the medication was left out for the patient. The patient did admit to taking the medication on her own and stated she did so because she thought she was doing the right thing. Now, this may not explain the cause of past syncopal episodes this patient has experienced when back home, but it does probably explain today's episode of syncope, and that the patient took double the medication she was supposed to take, and that the blood pressure issue was related as to while the patient was standing. Now, we did not have a positive tilt test, but we did note that once the patient was active in movement and getting to the cot and getting to the stretcher, even around to the hospital and becoming more agitated, that the patient did experience a hypotensive state and that the patient's decreased MAP could have been the cause of her decrease in mentation during our transport to the hospital. We were excited as a crew to learn that this was our patient's outcome and her working diagnosis from the provider at the hospital, knowing that this is something that many adults, especially elderly adults that have others providing for the medication administration go through, and that the patients sometimes obtain more medication than what they should be obtaining. This is something that was obtained, though, because we did a good assessment of the patient. 
We work through the patient's medical history, through their medication. We work through the different symptoms that we saw. We did a great physical assessment of the scene and of the patient and how they presented. This is a great outcome and a great story about how assessments can make all the difference. Now, admittingly, friends, we tried to treat this patient, and nothing was seeming to go our way when it came to the IV therapy that we wanted to give to this patient and give her fluid. But in the end, the patient got to the intended destination that she needed to be at to receive further care and evaluation by emergency room physician that led us to the diagnosis that the patient got. So that'll wrap up our discussion today of syncopal episodes and what causes syncopal episodes, the different types of syncopal episodes, and how we can treat them. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you'll stick with us and stay tuned for further episodes as we dive into emergency medicine. And we hope that you'll use the skills and assessments that you've learned in this episode to further your patient care. Go out there and make it a great day. 